Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. And now, join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of the world's funniest comedians. This is Comedy Goldmines with Kevin Hart. Welcome, world. Welcome to an all-new episode of Comedy Goldmines, where we get inside the minds of brilliant comedians. And oh my God, what amazing minds they are. Some of the best minds in this world come from a place of funny. It's a fact. I don't say that and pull that out my ass. That's a fact. Today's episode is a special episode. I should have called it Comedy Gold Mines with a Legend. That's what I should have did today. God damn it. Missed an opportunity. Fuck it. Renamed it just now. Comedy Gold Mines with a Legend. Ladies and gentlemen, this man that I'm talking to is a comedian, an actor, a fucking game changer. A man who single-handedly took the world of hosting and made it something that nobody else could ever duplicate. Because there could be only one. There could be only one that did what ones or most hoped to do. It almost seemed as if comedy came too easy for him at one point. Took a TV show and made a TV show to trend. He made it a fad. He made it the thing to talk about when I was in school. This particular individual put you in a place where if you didn't watch his TV show and you showed it to school the next day while everybody else was talking about it, you felt like a dickhead. <laughs> you felt like a fucking idiot. <laughs> I want to call him the $20 million man because at the time when $20 million a movie was being given out, he was one of the first to the table. And it's not many that got to that table. I'll count them off. Will Smith, Tom Cruise, Martin fucking Lawrence. <laughs> Martin Lawrence, welcome. The comedy gold mines. I, I like that intro, man. That, that, that was dope. <laughs> Martin, I got to tell you the truth. Because if I tell you a lie, it makes me feel bad. So I have to be honest with you here. The reason why I said I got to get Martin Lawrence on comedy gold mines, I was having a conversation with my brothers, my friends. We talk comedy all the time. And while we're talking comedy, man, we're saying so much about you. We're talking about Def Jam. We're talking about you so crazy. We're talking about run tell that. We're talking about your ups and downs. And I said, fuck. I said, why don't we hear about Martin Moore? Why don't we fucking hear about Martin Moore? I said, I said, does this generation truly realize what Martin Lawrence was and is to comedy? I have the platforms where I can give my mentor, where I can give my friend. I can give this man his flowers myself. I don't need to figure it out. I can make him fucking aware. So I said, I got to get him on Comedy Gold Mines. I got to get him on Comedy Gold Mines to simply give him his fucking flowers. Martin, we're going to talk, man, and I'm going to ask you questions about things that I, that I, truly, I truly am curious about. I want to go back. I want to go back to Martin Lawrence in the beginning days of stand-up comedy, and I want to ask you, who acted as your comedy pieces of energy? Who, who acted as your motivating forces for you to really stay true to the craft in your beginning days? Uh, for me? Uh, well, professionally, you know, it, I, I was looking to Pryor and Eddie Murphy, you know, all the time. You know, I, I looked at them a lot. And uh, some of the local comedians, uh, that I was uh, doing stand-up with at the time. But uh, Eddie, I would say prior and Eddie. And that time coming up, right, when you were in those beginning stages, right, when when did you know, when did you know, oh, it's it's about to fucking get real for me? When did it start to bubble? Like, when did you feel that fucking, that heat coming and you said, oh, this is getting a little different? 
is bigger than just what it once was. It's about to get oh, different. Oh shit, man! That that probably was when I started selling out, selling out shows, you know, and when I did like eighteen thousand in my hometown, you know, in Maryland, Landover, Maryland, and uh, then that's when I knew, I, oh, this this whole thing is changing. You know, and uh, it was a ride. It was a ride for me. Was it before, like, like, what I'm curious about is before Def Jam came about, what was the thing that that got the attention for you? Like, what was the what was the comedy event that bought the you know you got to see this guy, y'all got to lay eyes on this guy. Well, I, I think I think Eddie Murphy was the one that told uh, Russell Simmons about me that uh, that he should take a look at me as far as hosting you know, hosting uh, the Def Jam. Wow. I think that came through Eddie. Wow. And were you and Eddie at the time, were y'all, were you guys cool acquaintances? Like, how did that relationship back then even even come about? Nah, um, not not really, not at that time. I, I didn't know Eddie like that. I had met him a couple of times, but I didn't know him uh, like that, you know. Um, but you know Eddie, he's so unselfish, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> you know, he get props where props is due, so he gave me a lot of love. And and then Russell went, uh, of course, set up a meeting. You talked to Russell. How did Def Jam connect those dots for me with Def Jam? Yeah, we, you know, met with Russell and uh, Stan Latham. And, uh, you know, they, they proposed the show to me. And uh, I was on board. I was on board with it. And uh, the rest is history. The rest is not only history, man. It It almost seemed as if, I remember on some shows where I could tell you were doing material. Right, like I could tell that you were you were in your act on some shows, and then there were some shows where you were just you were off the top. There were some shows where it was about personality and relationship, and it seemed as if you had such a close knit relationship with that Def Jam audience, right? Like, yeah. like you felt so comfortable, and there was never a, a a space of error. When when did you know? that that i didn't i didn't have to come up and and have everything by the book prepared when when did you get to the space of comfort of saying i can i can let it flow and they're gonna be with me regardless well they, that audience was just so live man you know um if you just bring bring them something that makes sense you know they was with you you know so i would i would always come out prepared you know i i knew who was sitting in the audience and things like that so you know i would i would always have have uh, little tricks up my sleeve, so I have something to go to, you know, once I'm out there on stage. But I had so much fun with it, man. You know, it, it just was a lot of fun, man. Give me your best memory. Give me your best Def Jam memory. We see the greatest hits. We see the we see the specials. Give me your best Def Jam fucking moment. I don't know what's my best. I, I don't know. I had Bullshit. You call Flavor Flavor Roach. <laughs> I can I can go. I can say it for you. Flavor Flavor Roach is probably one of the fucking, when you said Roach is looking Flav and they say daddy, and you, you gave the presentation. Lawrence Taylor, you fuck Lawrence Taylor up bad. You you hit Ice-T. You hit Ice-T one time. I mean, you got to You got to give me one. Mark, you got to give uh. me one. ว่าไอ้เราไม่รู้ว่าจะเป็นแบบนั้นนะครับแต่ก็ไม่รู้ว่าจะเป็นแบบนั้นนะครับแต่ก็ไม่รู้ว่าจะเป็นแบบนั้
Because at the end of a set, when somebody went to walk off, Martin Lawrence would go, wait a minute, man, come here. Come here, man. Y'all show this brother some love, man. Bernie Mac, goddamn, y'all. <clears throat> hey, come here. Hey, Chris, come back out here, man. Wait a minute. That brother was funny. Y'all show Chris. Like, you don't understand those moments of pullback, those moments of come here, the arm around the shoulder, the arm around the comic shoulder with the, the, the funny headlock. Give him some love, man. That was the same. <laughs> There's no difference. And when I, when I look at that now and I look at the comedians that you did that to, they're all stars. These motherfuckers are stars, Martin. <laughs> you, so, so it's not to it's not to take credit. It's not to that's not the purpose of this. It's it's the association of greatness from a great. I look at things from that perspective, man. And Dev Jam, it was that plus more. It was that plus more. And your energy that you had there, you somehow managed to take that with you everywhere you went. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? <coughs> or just a horrible accident? <coughs> That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave four-year vacation in the plane and come home under the plane... You've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. How did the show come about? How did Martin come about? Uh. Well, uh, my manager, I had a manager at the time, uh, took me in to see uh, uh, Chris Albrecht, who was head of uh, Hip TV at HBO. And uh, I just met with him and uh, we talked about the show and uh, talked about giving me my own show. And uh, he greenlit it right there. He was like, uh, come on, let's do it. And I was like, oh, shit. You know, <laughs> I was like, all right, well, you know. So then I just went. So I just went off, started to work on my own show. Well, I mean, at the time, you was that, you were that fucking hot at the time. And Bentley Evans, you, Bentley Evans, what, who were your other writers, showrunners back then that were part of the show? Uh, well, we had Bentley Evans, Kenny Buford. Uh, Kenny Buford, you go. Benny Richburg, mm -hmm. uh, Sam Art Williams. We had a few people, a few people. When, when did you know Martin was special? Was it after the pilot? After the pilot episode, did you go, we got some heat? Did you did you realize it? Did you have any idea about the world of TV and what this was going to do for you? No, I didn't. I, I didn't. I was just doing everything I could to try to make the TV show work, you know, because they moved us every year. They moved us to a different chat, you know, different, uh, different time, time every year. So, mm -hmm. you know, the audience had to find us and they was they were finding us. So. You know, I just wanted to make the show work. That's why I did all the characters and all that. I was trying to do everything I could to give us an edge. I mean, it's crazy even that you say that. That was my next. That's why I was going next. Just like, you know, within the show, you kind of you kind of brought a variety feel to a scripted TV series, right? Like, you know, you it was a conversation of SNL at one point. 
that was attached to Martin Lawrence. And, you know, SNL didn't work out and it wasn't the thing for Martin Lawrence. It wasn't your launching vehicle. But, you know, the characters that could have or would have been portrayed on SNL somehow found their way to be portrayed on your own fucking TV show. I'm just showing you how, how life works, how I fucking view it, right? This thing that wasn't our thing or that couldn't be our thing. By the way, both of us, we got a SNL story. Both of us got a a fucking running with the old world of SNL and it just not being for us. But we tried. That was a thing, right? Fucking you mm-hmm. with the Martin show, when you look at your characters, when you look at Jerome, you look at Shanae, uh, you look at fucking, what was a uh, little, little, uh, what was his name? Roscoe? Roscoe. Roscoe. Yeah. Uh, let me see who else. Dragonfly Jones. Um, let's see how good I am here. Hold on. Let's see. Drag- Otis. Otis. Um, uh, oh, fucking Bob, right? You got, uh, Bob from marketing. Um, uh, I mean, that's five. Those, those are five standouts for sure, right? You not only created these characters, but you created characters with fucking storylines that lasted throughout your series. That's unheard of. That's unheard of. These weren't little blurbs. These weren't moments of ha ha. These were real fucking characters that popped in that had real relationships that associated with everyone on the show. When did you know you struck gold there? Which character made you realize, oh, this is it? Well, Shanae. We got to do more of this. Shanae. 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 Mama, mama, the mama character and Shanae. Fuck, forgot about Mama Lauren. Because uh, Mama Payne, we, um, we did her, we, uh, we used her in the pilot. And uh, in the pilot episode, so that that really helped us big time. And then Shanene was just real big, you know, the next door neighbor that just was sassy and the whole nine with attitude and roundaway girl and everything. So she she was just big for the show, you know. And uh, and then when I did Jerome, you know, and uh, you know everybody started liking Jerome, so <laughs> you know. <laughs> So I was trying. I was trying all kind of characters, man. I was trying. I go. I go. I know this is gonna go crazy. I, I'm gonna go Dragonfly Jones for me, man. Dragonfly yeah. Jones. It was Dragonfly Jones for me, man. Because <laughs> the, the shit, the shit that Dragonfly Jones did to show that he was tough, it never really made sense. Like right. you, I remember there was one episode where you bit, you bit the bar. You, you <laughs> fucking, you bit the bar. <laughs> <laughs> you bit the bar like he wanted to fight dragonfly joe's in the bar and the motherfucker was like come on man well come on then you you want some of me punk <laughs> dragonfly joe's running around you bit the fucking wood off the bar man dragonfly jones did it for me i i can say he made he made me laugh not more but you just had so many memorable moments uh with with that character in in the story, right? The story you see it. Oh my God, is working. Everything is fucking blasting. Like this is this is crazy, right? It's fucking crazy. The show is is really fucking taking off. You get to this point now where you reach an emotional arc in the show. I, I remember where the relationship of you and Gina it became the focus. Like it, it, it really like you guys had kind of made a shift, mm-hmm. and Martin was going through some shit. And it was mirroring. This is at a point in your life where shit was happening. And, you know, you were the, the, the conversation and the world of fucked up was presenting itself. And the show kind of mirrored these things. Was that intentional? Was that, was that the writing just being the writing? Or was that you at a time realizing that you were just in a different space at the time? I think it was just a, a writer's kind of kind of honing in on where I was and at that point in my life, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just just things happening on and off, you know, the set and just kind of them mirroring each, each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I say that to say what what you did then, it stood out to me because of what I see, uh, what I now see and know you to be, right? Like at the time, I know you were going through something on Martin. And like I said, the show reflected that and then the show ended up having like this really emotional ending when you when you guys walked away from the show right and 
when I was having an emotional fucking moment in life, when I was at my, I don't want to call it my wall, but when I was on my fucking brick road and like really sitting in that chair where you just start to see the other side of this business, let my listeners know Martin called me. I've never talked to fucking Martin on the phone. Never fucking talked to this man on the goddamn phone. From afar, I'm a fucking fan. This is this is the guy. He's fucking Martin Lawrence to me. Reaches out and says, "Brother, I just wanna, just wanna send some positive energy your way. I wanna check on you. I wanna tell you these things. Told me just some good shit. <laughs> Made me feel good. Just not only about myself, but that I was gonna be all right. Right. My question to you." Is that moment in my life when I was going through all that shit? This is after accident. This is I done been on the news for all types of shit, all types of scandals. I'm on CNN for this. I didn't fuck this up. It's just conversation after conversation. When you saw that, did you see something from your time of when you were going through that made you say, I want to reach out to him because nobody did for me or because I know what it means to be reached out to at this moment? What was the reason for that? I know what it means to be reached out in that moment. Mm. When somebody reaches out to you and, and when you're going through something, it means a lot. It's very important. You know you're not alone, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I reached out to you, it's just it was just all love. And I, you know, I just I know you probably was in a different place and and whatever you was going through, you know, I just want to say, hey man, much love and and uh, you know, we we praying for you over here, whatever you're going through. So so that's that's where I was coming from. Well, I I kept it together on the phone because I'm I'm very much a thug, uh, you know that you've been around, <laughs> you, you see the way I carry myself. But I I fucking I broke down after we got off the phone, and and Nico Nico was with me, so I'm like it, it you know it wasn't like a a, a tear with the sniffles. I, I wasn't like you know hyperventilating. I don't want you to think that that's what it was because you know I don't do that shit as a fucking thug. But it was like you know I had a couple of the single ones rolling down. And and she was like, "What's what's going on? Like, why why are you upset?" And I said, "I'm not upset." I said, "I think he knew what that did." I said, "That's what I told." Her. I said, "I think he knew what that did." And I don't know how how he would know or not know. I said, "But I needed that. I needed I needed that from somebody like that." And you have reached out. Uh, Rock have reached out, and Chappelle have reached out. Right. And, you know, this is like my this is my fucking, you know, you're, you're looking at my goddamn comedy fucking Mount Rushmore right here. Right. Like a, a people that are just that have my utmost respect, but that I just I, I've, I truly value what they've done. And now to say that they're friends. But that moment when you did it, man, my respect level for you shot up more than we went to dinner and we talked and we had a conversation. And it it really put things into perspective as to this business and what's lost. Because the one thing that you kept homing on was family, how you're good, you're happy, you're loved, you feel loved. And like that was the most important thing when we were talking. It was it was it was that. And I remember your lady, the same thing about happy and just that relationship, that energy. And that gets lost in this business. When you were at your point of going through the shit, did you feel like saying fuck the business before before it happened? Like, were you ever at a point where you were ready to close the door on the business, Martin? No, not really. Because I always felt I had something to give. And even though I might have been going through personal, personal things, um, I knew mm -hmm. uh, professionally uh, my career is what was uh, putting food on the table and, uh, you know, just keeping me going, so. I can say that I never wanted to close the door, but there was a moment where I was like, I don't want to ever let this shit get the best of me. Right, right. I don't want to lose to it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to find myself upside down from thinking about the business first and my life second. Right. Or my mind second. And right. it wasn't to shut the door, but it was the step away to make sure I have a balance of understanding right. those things. That's right, that's what right, I, I'll right. say that I got to that point. Mm -hmm. With you, I want to shift gears. I want to go to to movies now. I want to go to Martin Lawrence, the twenty the twenty million dollar man, back when that was the thing. 
right when this was when this was happening and the success that you had with movies and the the stardom that was attached to that did you find a significant difference in tv star martin and movie star martin uh i mean the fame is the same you know the fame is the same but um I, I felt like TV, my TV years was my college years, you know, and I felt like uh, when I did movies, I was in the pros, you know? Wow. So that's, that's, that's wow. kind of how I felt, you know? That's a good analogy. I, I, I like that analogy. When you, what about the universal, the universal appeal? You know, when you started to see the global effect that your movies had, that, that at this point you're now making the world laugh. And you're going on these world tours. I was blown away by it. I was I was impressed. I was uh, blown away. I was uh, happy about it, and uh, I just embraced it. Do you have a personal favorite movie that you've done? Wow, mm, that would be a few of them. <laughs> Tough questions. Hard hitters here. Hard fucking hitters here, Martin. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be a few of them because uh, I really enjoyed doing life with Eddie. You know, that's one, my, that's one of my favorites, you know, is to work with Eddie on that level. And uh, I love doing Bad Boys with Will. You know, I am had so much fun doing that with him. And um, Blue Street, National Security, movies like those. Um, I really had a lot of fun. Big Mamas, you know, was, was a lot of work, but, but uh, a lot of fun. I'm going to go back to life for a second, you know. Because you said it earlier, once again, just how I view things, how I feel like they always come around. This fucking circle has a funny way of, like, connecting. You know, Eddie making a call and, you know, this is who you guys should get to host and connecting these dots. And that dot gets connected. Holy fuck, this is our guy. Our guy then becomes this fucking guy that we didn't know he would become. But fuck, he's a star. Oh, shit, this star just keeps goddamn shining. He's now a megastar. As a megastar, you now meet up with fucking Eddie Murphy and you guys talk about the movie life. How did that start? Who's Who brought it to the table? Where did the conversation start from? Well, Eddie brought it to me. Um, I was uh, actually going through some personal stuff uh, and um, I, I was at home just chilling um, and I needed that phone call. I got a call from him and um, he said, hey, man, I'm going to be calling you in about six, seven months, you know, for this movie that I want you to do for, with me. And I was like, hey, I'll be ready. And he called me in, in about six, seven months. And that, it was life. Jesus Christ. Yeah. The phone call. The yeah. fucking phone call. <laughs> Y'all don't take nothing away from this goddamn podcast. You better take away the importance of the phone call. The <laughs> phone call. Um, so now, life. I got to give you my take on life. I think it's dope as hell when you get to see two comedy, two comedy juggernauts. I'm going with the word juggernauts. Share the screen. And you share the screen so tastefully. There were no moments in life where there was a battle. There was a battle for the button. Right. You know what I mean by that, Martin? When I say battle for right. the button. Right. There was no, there was never a battle for the period at the end of the sentence, a battle for the moment, man. The chemistry that y'all had in this movie was so fucking dope. Um, the character choice, was that just, was it was it on the day of showing up or did you guys talk and meet? Like, how did you figure out your take on these two characters that you guys were gonna portray? Well, once we got into makeup and everything else, you know, uh, uh, we had a makeup test and everything. and. You know, Eddie's such a genius at what he does, man, and such a perfectionist. You know, he could start feeling himself in the character and all that. And I kind of just followed his lead, you wow. know, with my character. And um, you know, it, it was uh it, it it was smooth, man. It was it was it was something special, man. What do you feel like you took away from that? Was there anything that you took away? Like did you there there was a piece of knowledge that you didn't go into it with, that you were able to walk away with? I came out of it with more professionalism. You know, just how Eddie does mm. things, just how professional he is and um, and just how good he is and and smart. And and um, and I, I just came away with just just all that, just all that knowledge of of just uh, how to get it done. And, and then and then mm. also I, I love the fact, like you said, we wasn't we wasn't battling for the last 
last line or mm -hmm. the last, you know, compete, competing, you know, mm -hmm. is more of a, a team, team effort. And that was every scene too, Martin is it, it was, it was so dope. Like, cause you know, it's, it's rare. It's rare when you, when you have the comedian and the comedian mm -hmm. to see that or, or to, to understand like that they're so in sync. You guys were so in sync in that movie. So in sync. And then, you know, right. we just talk about the added flavor mm -hmm. of your other characters. I mean, you know, you guys were working with the great Bernie Mac in that as well. Um, you know, Anthony Anderson in there as well. Guy Tory was in there as well. Uh, you know, I know I'm leaving people out, but it was such a amazing surrounding cast. You know, those days where you guys were on the yard portraying that day, you know, that, that jail, those jail scenes, man, you saw it there too. You you could tell like there was a there was nice there was a nice comfortable setting that was put on for all actors and actresses to basically have a good time and and do the work. It didn't look like it was work. Right. It looked like a bunch of fucking poised veterans on it. Right. That. That's what I took away yeah. from it. <laughs> uh, shifting gears, keeping it going. Uh, you know, like I'm fanning out. I gotta go thin line between love and hate, man. Uh, that movie almost killed me, Kevin. Are you saying <laughs> that, that that was the hardest shit I ever did in my life, man? That was the hardest shit I ever did. Man. Are you serious? Thin yeah, because you, because you know I wrote and produced and directed. Directed, it, yeah, you did it all. And, and, and it, it was the hardest shit I ever did in my life, man. I I thought that you were going to say it. When I said, you know, what was the greatest movie? I swear to you, I was waiting for Thin Line Between Love and Hate for those reasons. You know, um, you, just a, a piece of fucking information for you. I asked the question early on in my career, you know, this was like in my soul plane days. And, and just talking to management agents at the time, before I got to a place of having control, it was like, yo, you know, Thin Line Between Love and Hate, Martin's name is is all over that movie he's like a producer it said writer writer created by director like how is that how can you do that like can one person do all that and they were like yeah if you're talented enough you can you can create write, you can bring projects to the table if you want to direct it you can all of that stuff yeah absolutely and mm -hmm. i was like so he did all of that shit that's He's responsible for all of that. It was like, it's like, yeah, yeah. If his name is on it, that's what the fuck he did. What, what gave you the appetite for all in that situation? Why did you want to wear all those hats? I just wanted the chance to try it. You know that, you know, somebody say yes that I could do it. They told me yes that I could do it, and I just see, wanted to seize the moment and try, give, give it a try, and uh, see how it would work out for me. This is coming after like. Martin, this is after like the the bulk of the show. This is one of your first and early movies, correct? Yeah. Like, where, where was Thin Line Between Love and Hate on the movie scale? Um, that probably was like, hmm, uh, that's probably was like my fourth yeah. or fifth movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and never again after doing it. You said, "Fuck this, never again." I I w I I wouldn't say that I wouldn't direct again. I just wouldn't act and direct it in it again. Or I wouldn't be in as much of it as, as I was in the last one. It was it, it was just too much work. I thought you were gonna say Bobby Brown when you said the movie almost killed me. I thought you were gonna say <laughs> I thought you were gonna say Bobby. I thought you were, I thought you were referring to Bobby. No, Bobby. Of course, cool. Bobby's cool. I love Bobby, Bobby but that cool. was Bobby in his prom. That's why I said. Which, I thought you were talking about Bobby, man. It almost fucking killed me, Kevin, chasing Bobby ass. It almost goddamn took me down. <laughs> Uh, another another great casting moment for you. How the fuck did Bobby Brown end up being the guy? How did you come about that? Like, why Bobby? Well, Bobby came to the Martin show and he wanted to be on the Martin show. He wanted me to uh, write a role for him on the Martin show. I told him I don't, I don't have nothing really on the Martin show for you. You told Bobby Brown that you didn't have nothing for him? Not on, Bobby was Bobby? Well, yeah, Whoa. on the Martin show. But I told him, I said, I'm writing this movie, Thin Line Between Love and Hate. I, I got a role for you in there. I'll I call you about that. And then I called him once we got, got it ready. Now, I'm going to go two things. First of all, Martin Lawrence, for those who do not know, Martin Lawrence is also known for having hands out of this world. Martin Lawrence, 
uh, from the shoulders is not what you want to fucking deal with. Okay, they say they say Martin the light shell. Okay, Martin used to box. We're talking about uh, Olympics. I don't know what the fuck it is, but from the shoulders, they say Martin the light shell the fuck up. So in no way is there a world where I ever see Bobby Punk and Martin. That's not the case here. But I do know Bobby Brown. I know Bobby's personality, so I can only imagine the shock factor when Bobby shows up at the Martin show. Go put me on, man. And and you instantly was like. Well, I can't. Yes, you can. And then you're like, all right, something else, Bobby. Jesus Christ, you gotta go. I can see, I can see how Bobby can finagle his way. Martin, you know, Bobby tried to steal one of my old schools uh, from Valet Parking one time. It's a true story. Yeah, I pulled up outside of Stevie's on Ventura in the old school, and Bobby was like, "Kev, let me drive your car." And I said, "Absolutely not." He said, Kev, come on, man. Let me drive it. I said, in no fucking way in hell you drive my car. And I gave Valet my keys. Five minutes later, Valet came running in. His shirt was all fucking ripped. He, he just threw my keys at me. He was like, Mr. Brown tried to take your keys, sir. I did everything I had to not let him do it. He, he, he tried to whip Valet's ass. He tried, to, he, he tried to fuck Valet up, man. It was a big deal. It's a fucking big deal, man. Uh, a very, very big deal. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Moving forward, man, we got to talk about Martin Lawrence, the father, man. Very proud moment for you. Uh, you have, you have like, grown kids. I believe your daughter, did your daughter graduate college, going to college? What's the story? My oldest graduated college, Duke. My oldest graduated from Duke. Uh, she's 25. Uh, my middle girl, who's 20. She she goes to Sarah Lawrence and, and uh, she's a writer. And my youngest girl, she just turned uh well, she just turned 19. And um she's a singer. Wow. So she has a beautiful voice. So they all do a little bit in, in entertainment, but I'm very proud. I was about to say, is that is that by far not the best feeling in the world, man? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it is to, to see your kids succeed. I don't I don't think there's anything better. But, you know, seeing uh, I, I can only, of course, look from afar because I don't I don't know or, or have the relationships with them. But and what I've seen, just your your level of proud uh, has been on full display just in your words and acknowledging them and their and their new success in life. Um, how are they, you know, in the in the earlier parts of of their dad's career? You know, was it ever a problem for you with, you know, being gone, not being there, shooting, not shooting uh, the schedule? Did you ever have to do the balancing act? Uh, not not really, because I, if I was gone for a amount of time, I would fire men. You know, fly them in to see me mm -hmm. and everything, mm -hmm. and and uh, so um, I got to spend a lot of time with my kids, even though I was working and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So you know, we got a lot of quality time, man. That's dope. That's dope. Another thing that I learned uh, that that was a learned trait because I was so on the go, man. You know, especially with the touring and and the movies, I was doing a lot of that shit at the same time. I was on a lot of it at the same time. So the one thing that I definitely did feel were the moments where, you know, I felt that I was going a little too much. But as you get as you get more knowledge, you you gain you gain more comfort in being okay with with the off and not the on all the time. You know what I mean? But once again, it was learn. It was fucking learn. Who does it for Martin Lawrence today, man? Give me some Martin Lawrence comics that he's following. Who who are you watching? Who's making you laugh today? Well, you know, you one of them. You one of them. Um, My guy. Um, uh, but I I I have the lit tour, uh, lit as fuck tour, and um, D Ray Davis. You deal with a lot of the younger guys. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. You put a lot of guys on. Shouts out to D Ray. This is is hilarious to me. Ricky Smiley. Um, uh, Lil Duval, uh, 
Adele Givens, Bruce Bruce, uh, you name it, man. There's so many. I could go on and on and on. What made you come back with the Lit as Fuck tour? Because this is this is like your. I'm, I know you did. I know that you did one. I know you had one tour, and I saw you like. I love that you were given. Uh, like I saw DC Young Fly. Not you had like uh, Michael Blackston. I know it was D Ray. Um, you know yeah. you were given like some young cats the stage time as well, uh, putting them on those things. Was it seeing the young guys flourish and 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 really like you know kind of take advantage of these now moments through social media to pop and and and. And you know the comedians of old that you know that you're familiar with. What what sparked the Lit as Fuck tour? What made you say I want to come out and I want to do a a whole thing where I kind of have a group of us go out? Well, you know, my I have I have a lot of fans that come out and see me a lot. You know, wherever I go, you know they come out and support me and see me. And I, I felt like doing the Lit tour, Lit as Fuck tour, would give uh, these these comedians my audience the opportunity to see these comedians where they've oh, no. never seen them before you know and uh and i thought this just was the perfect opportunity so that's why we came up with the lit tour and are you guys going back out what are you what are you going to do are you going back out again yeah we're going back out at the end of september we, we have some uh we have some dates uh we're going back out and uh just going out to have fun i mean you know after this covid stuff and lockdown you know, everybody should be happy to be out at any Get point. Get the fuck out. Absolutely. Uh, what do you think about the state of comedy and, and all that it's been through? Uh, what's your take on it? It's a state of comedy. It's it's crazy right now because it's like you can't say nothing. Everybody, mm -hmm. you get in trouble for saying the littlest thing. And, mm -hmm. and people want to march on this. If you say this, if, if you say somebody got a big nose, you nose shaming. So now, now, now everybody with big nose is gonna follow you. <laughs> now everybody with a big nose is marching against you and shit. <laughs> you know, so I, I don't know, man. The state of comedy kind of kind of too sensitive right now. Well, it's uh, you know the reason why I ask you is because you're, it's 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 got to be a uh, you know crazy thing to see it drastically changed from what it once was you know yes I, I mean i'm talking to you know mr def jam comedy himself so you know I, the the comedy that touched that stage the things that were set on that stage what what was known to be funny and what people stood on as as just being funny you know it was fucking monumental for so many so to now and today for you for you to see where it is i know it has to be a like oh shit like what the fuck you know what what's mm -hmm. happened to to where we right. once were or to what it once was but with that being said i feel like you know we of course have to adjust with the times you know we can't be stubborn and 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 dickheads about it like you we have to be understanding and and you know uh best present ourselves in a way where we're being respectful and still trying to maintain the task and goal at hand of being funny um for martin lawrence I mean, I know Lit as Fuck is there, and I know you're doing amazing things. Is there a world where Martin Lawrence is thinking about the world of a special or the world of, of, of giving one more go at for one more hour? Is that a conversation or a want? Not, not right now. I'm, 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 I'm pretty content, you know, with hosting right now. You know, um, I've, I've done three concert films, um, you know, that I've been happy about. and um, Legendary. You know, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really rushing to do another one. You know, if it presents itself, um, then I'll, I'll probably take it on. But right now, that's not, that's not in the near future. If you aren't familiar with it, make yourself run to that is also one of the highest grossing concert films to hit theaters uh, of all times. I do my research. I know exactly what the fuck is going on. <laughs> Just make sure the world knows it as well. Uh, you so crazy. One of the most, I would say, featured and talked about specials to ever touch a fucking screen. You know, when you talk about you so crazy, you talk about the leather goddamn warm up, you talk about the leather pants tucked in the boots. Martin, that was a, it was a choice. It was a choice, right? You went with it. It was a choice. 
It was, a, it was, it was a little militant, but you went with it. It was very like <laughs> when you when you look back, when you look back at that outfit now, right? You look back at your comedy outfits of old. Do you laugh? What's your what is your what's your judge no, of yourself? I, I felt like I was I was like I was military style. <laughs> I was. I was taking, I was going to war. Yeah. I was going to war. Yeah. So I had my boots, my boots and everything tucked <laughs> in. I was ready. But I was ready. You were so Martin Lawrence in his fucking prom, man. There was this, there was an attitude to being funny. It was like you, I can't even describe it, man. It was this thing. It was like this, this motherfucking thing on your special. You had it and Rock had it. Remember when there was a moment like on Bigger and Black where Chris Rock is walking side to side, but the motherfucker walking like somebody, like somebody said something. Like he, like he yeah. walking to it like, nigga, what, who, what? And he is an attitude and a, and a high level of confidence, not matched with cocky, but matched with fucking comedy bravado. And you so crazy, I felt that that's what you represented, the boots. The fucking leather pants tucked in the boots, the goddamn big ass shirt. It was, it was, it was everything it was supposed to be. The black fence in the back. It was, <laughs> it was everything <laughs> it was supposed to be, man. Um, today, I will say this, you know, when when I talk about flowers, I talk about uh, you being also deserving of them, man. Uh, one thing that you did that acted as a highlight to so many was going and doing bad boys again coming back and doing another bad boys uh you and will smith and and you know knocking this movie out the fucking park was it a hard decision to go back and and do it was it a no-brainer from the gate like where did where did that start it wasn't a hard decision yeah i mean basically yeah it's a no-brainer you know because the opportunity to work with will again um, you know you're gonna do it on a big level, you know nothing but professionalism um, and and a lot of fun. And uh, we we worked very hard on that movie, and uh, we got the results. Yeah. We, even in promotion, marketing, and everything, we did everything uh, from from A to Z, you know, to to to, to uh, get results on that movie. Where you at movie wise now? Um, like we talked about you and maybe directing or, or, you know, if the opportunity presented itself, is there an appetite to do anything in this space now? Well, I just finished, I just finished a movie, um, uh, a drama that, um, that I always wanted to do. I always wanted to do a, just a drama, no comedy. So I just finished mm -hmm. that. And, um, so I'm, I'm just looking to do just good work, just good work. Um, if, if nice. uh, some, somebody presented me with something to direct, and I wasn't in it, and I saw that I could d direct it. <laughs> if it's emphasis on that, and I wasn't in it, <laughs> then, then, then maybe I would take that on. But I ain't looking. But I ain't looking for that at all. At all. At fucking all. Uh, I I can say that I have one one movie uh, with Martin under my belt. Death at a funeral. I did not get a scene with the man at this point in my career, right. but it was still uh, in my in my world. You know, I did a movie with Martin Lawrence, uh, with Chris Rock, Tracy Morgan, and I. It was it. It was a. You know what it was? It was a. It was a high level of sweet, but the only piece of bitter. I was like, God, I wish that there was a moment where I could have just been in a, a scene. With, with yeah. three, like where I could have just at that young stage in my career, even if it was for a small, no thank you guys, whatever the fuck it was, go in the room and out. I felt like that was an opportunity missed, and you know, rightfully so, because at that time in my career, it was you know I was I was fighting, I was on the way up, but I was excited. I was excited just to simply be in the conversation of a Martin Lawrence fucking movie. Mm -hmm. And that's the that's the only one that I had. And if you're not done, brother, and you're telling me that you got some left and you're like the right things, well, fuck. It sounds like I got some work to do and I got to find the fucking right thing because I've yet to have a scene with this goddamn legend. I've yet to have a shared moment uh, that will be evergreen and last forever outside of well, this hey, one that we just made. Well, 
Well, you know, they got to get us in a movie together. That's, that's, that's I, what I'm talking I, about. I, I think I believe that's what the people want to see. Fuck yeah. You know, they, they, they'd love to see us in a movie together. Listen, that's you why know. I just said I got I got work to do. I, I, you know, yeah. don't threaten me with a good time. I asked you the question to see <laughs> if the door was shut, and you didn't shut the door. You said the right things. So that means that I got some work to do, and I got to present the right fucking thing. Um, but, dude, if nothing else, if you can tell nothing else from this podcast, man, yes, I'm a friend, but I, I, am, I am a fan and, and, a, and a real fan, and I just humbly want to say thank you for opening up the doors that you did. Um, there is no world where I can do anything that I'm doing without the fucking work that you did and without the ground that you broke. And you deserve to fucking be recognized on a consistent level. And you will forever, forever be recognized by me because you're truly one of the greats to ever fucking do it, man. And this means more than you'll ever know. Uh, Along with the call, it's matched. The same fucking energy and synergy is matched. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what we do on the show, man? We get into minds of amazing comedians, but today was a little different. Today we got into the mind of a legend. A fucking legend, man. Actor, comedian, uh, frustrated director when he's in the movie, uh, <laughs> producer, <laughs> producer, man of the people. Please be on the lookout for his Lit as Fuck tour where he features today's youngest and funniest. Uh, not only that, man, just be on the lookout for what will soon come. I'm putting it in the air, which is a fucking Martin Lawrence and Kevin Hart movie. Emphasis on a Martin Lawrence first because that's the way it's supposed to be. I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Hey, man, I appreciate you. Thank you for all the love, Kevin. And keep doing your thing, man, brother. You're truly blessed, man. Yes, sir. I appreciate you, dude. I told you this would this would be uh, exactly what it was supposed to be. Fucking great, man. Fucking That's great. That's right, man. Thank <laughs> you, brother. All right. Take it easy, Mark. Take care. Comedy Gold Mines is a serious XM and LOL audio production. Executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, and Eric Weil. With Tastemakers Media, Emil Garner, and Ian McDonald. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.